the log-grown shiitakes are, yeah. are, are my favorite. Yeah. Mostly, they've got the best shelf life. They got a really strong flavor that's like good and well-rounded. And, and they're kind of good anywhere is the one reason I like them. They're where shiitake is like you can you can boil them, fry them, saute them, stir fry them, what have you. Leave them in the fridge for two, three weeks. And they're, they're, they're hassle-free and they're mega delicious. And they're, you know, one of the most nutrient-dense of them. And also... They're what I was raised with. They're the ones we grow, you know, most naturally. It's, you know, it's an ancient Japanese practice of growing growing them on logs the way we do. And it, it feels very much like you're working with Mother Nature to make something happen. Welcome to Tangle Taproot, where we explore the unique stories of small-scale farmers in the Midwest. I'm Jackson. I'm Kristen. And I'm John Cowan. And this is a production of Milk and Hummus. What is Milk and Hummus? We make flavorful hummus and ready-to-drink plant-based lattes that focus on locally sourced ingredients, sustainable packaging, and the humble chickpea. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Henry of Ozark Forest Mushrooms. We had a lovely conversation about their origins, including their law-grown, I should say famous law-grown shiitake mushrooms that were, of course, grown in the Ozark region. On their family farm. Yeah. But then most recently, they're growing a number of other mushrooms in the Central West End area. And we actually got to go in and check all them out. Super, super cool. Central West End St. Louis. I didn't go myself, but I liked the description that he gave in the interview. He said it's like just an abandoned house with a greenhouse inside of it, basically. No roof, just a greenhouse. I'm like, oh, that's that sounds fun. It's dilapidated, but quite gorgeous. Yeah. It's ex- it's extremely stra- photogenic. Yeah. But the actual cave or growing chamber, if you will, it's uh, a beautiful, humid environment with um, a number of mushroom species. I think their focuses are, of course, continue to be shiitake, but uh, oyster mushrooms of various, various varietals. varieties and lion's mane. And trumpet mushrooms mm-hmm. and maitake. I do a lot of maitake as well, I believe, yeah. So I believe that the numbers are pretty impressive when you're thinking mushrooms because it's a kind of a lightweight product. We're not talking about pounds of pork sausage or turnips. We're talking mushrooms and they're light and they're sending out 2,000 pounds yeah. of fungus to the various buyers every week. 2,000 pounds of mushrooms. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a good way to put it into perspective because, yeah, mushrooms Just weigh think like how, nothing. Yeah, it's like a little air right. and water. <laughs> and what's really exciting about this episode is we're going not into the plant kingdom or the animal kingdom. Where are we going? We're going into the fungi kingdom. Do you consider yourself a fungi? I am <laughs> I'm a little bit of a fungi, yeah. Okay. I only hang out in sound booths with fun guys so this must be i'm glad that we got be. this out of got it just we got it over with let's continue the episode i like your approach john okay you. <laughs> <laughs> no it's super cool i did learn a lot about mushrooms and fungus in this episode i was like oh wow yeah i mean because they aren't really plants it's terribly um, unique yeah absolutely they're you said they were closer to closer to humans, humans than plants i was like what yeah let that sink into your brain a little bit yeah yeah and just the the uniqueness of the identity and the flavors of each of these mushrooms is interesting. And, the, the, you know, the greenhouses that we were able, well, I don't know, do we call them greenhouses? But these little 
set up tarp areas with this sort of extreme humidity and then the the, the necessity for sun and solar uh, solar energy and power and exposure, but not too much sun. Just interesting, a lot of factors to think about to create this uh, sort of perfect microclimate mm-hmm. in the central West End here in St. Louis and just the, the amount of varieties and colors and sizes of some of these mushrooms that we got to see is just pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, just to, to think what they've kind of mastered and, you know, all of the factors and conditions. Like I, I was really impressed and surprised with the amount of humidity that seemed to be required. Yeah. It was like seamy thick with moisture droplets in the air. Well, yeah. it really reminded me of a, a cheese wheel aging cave. I did some some cheese. I guess I have some cheese background. And when I was working in a, a you know, a cheese cheese aging room, the humidity and the dampness is just somewhat reminiscent of uh, of that. Fascinating. Yeah, I, had, I was trying to remember now if it, I felt like I smelled a certain smell. Like I can't remember that now. But yeah, for those uh, who are listening at the, at the present time, I mean, if you walk into this this growing operation, it's 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 quite a quite an interesting spectacle. I mean, you have these these blocks which are the growth substrate, and you have these nice plumes of of mushrooms of of various hues coming out. They're incredibly fast growing. Yeah. Harvested two times a day, Henry said. Yeah. Remember, it's incredible. That's and that was right. why he said that they're not doing it on logs anymore, just because it just takes far longer. And if like the volume that they're producing, they it's just not as, as sustainable. Yeah, yeah, because the, a lot of the the the, bo- the blocks that they pick up to grow with are you know certain combinations of you know maybe there's like oat you know discarded oat parts mixed with you know corn stock or soybean holes. He said you know so there's these varieties of things in there that are kind of supplementing and adding certain nutritional components to help Mm -hmm. accelerate the growth, but also to probably enhance the flavors in some ways Mm -hmm. as well. And with the with the flavor aspects, I mean, they are intentionally doing a lot of wholesaling and I guess being a a unique supplier for a vast array of restaurants in the area. Yes. Yeah. It's hard to walk into a cafe or restaurant and maybe not see something from Ozark forest mushrooms, which is quite the compliment and testament to the business. Also neat that Henry said that he and his mother never really had to invest. They just, whatever they make, it just goes right back into the company and they've grown fold over fold over fold um, through the decades. Right. And that's super cool because, yeah, he was saying they don't like, it's not like they have like this enormous staff. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's just them. Well, it's just him. I don't think it's, I don't, I don't know that he mentioned that his mom was still working. I I don't know. She is, yeah. We yeah. actually saw her that day. Oh, cool, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, she's very invested. I guess well, Henry really beautifully relays the story of the start. Uh, his mother and himself are both very uh, talented and have yeah. a, a really neat depth and complexity as far as their education right. and background with being school teacher mm-hmm. and also managing other greenhouses and backgrounds in plants growing plant chemistry, plants, various botany degrees and whatnot. So there's a lot of education and experience that's gone into right. this sort of the, the foundation breaks. Like it sounds like his mom really was kind of forged quite a path, you know, when she decided she was like, she was being a mom, but also wanted some flexibility and just the, obviously growing your own vegetables and 
starting out with log grown mushrooms on their their farm and homestead area out in rural Missouri, timber Missouri, I believe, um, with the perfect amount of types of trees that, you know, fallen trees that mushrooms happen to like to grow on and then just kind of maximizing and capitalizing that and knowing that you can kind of walk outside and have some good things growing um, and just have that flexibility of having good stuff nearby and so close. I think that would be a really great feeling as a mom to have like good fresh stuff to provide for your family right outside your house. And that's where it all began. Absolutely. And didn't Henry say that like he, I mean, he's like, you know, super educated, but he was trying to go into something else. Like, was it like some sort of like biology tech or maybe, but because of COVID, then he ended up working in the farm or am I just... Well, he was going to be moving to England to live for yeah. a while and then kind of decided, yeah, around COVID to just stay here, I believe. Um, and so Buddy's definitely applied his plant right. sciences and absolutely elaborate background in engineering and programming greenhouses. I mean, I guess there's a lot when you're thinking about moisture and sun exposure. I mean, I don't know. That's all out of my league. Just another component to consider because obviously the greenhouse area that we were able to tour here was highly controlled. You know, right. I mean, it's maximized. Right. Like, Obviously, even though a it's a bit makeshift, you know, because yeah. it was supposed to be temporary and they're getting ready to move into a big new space of their own. It's still like a Very lot of factors to yeah. that. They're looking out for timing and humidity and mm -hmm. the sunlight. Well, I'm really excited to listen to Henry's story. And I'm sure a lot of these folks are as well. What, um, any other last minute? No, I just, I just think, yeah, I just think that people are going to be fascinated by, uh, by mushrooms. Yeah, there was a lot that I didn't even know after, after listening to this. I was like, oh, cool. Mushrooms are like way more cooler than I thought they were. Yeah. Yeah. The, everybody will learn something in this episode. I think we're all confident in that. All right. Well, I'll take it away. Henry Helmuth is here with us today. A fun guy to talk about. Fungus. That's that's good. I just had to get that joke out of the way real quick. Henry, how long have you been playing with mushrooms? My whole life, uh, <laughs> unfortunately and fortunately. Yeah, my mom my ma started Ozark Forest Mushrooms uh, over 30 years ago. Uh, I just turned 30 last, last July. It's been a part of my life uh, ever since the beginning. And is that, did it start in, in Missouri? Was it a Missouri operation all along or? Yep. Yeah, it's been it's been here ever since its founding in 1990ish. The way it started was my my mom's originally from England, but her her and my dad my dad's originally from St. Louis, and they they moved here. And she was a high school biology uh, teacher, substitute teacher, and also did like part time work in the DSEG program at the Botanical Gardens. And my dad had a family farm in Timber, Missouri, right near you know the the current river and the Jack's Fork. And they had a garden down there and she, you know, played around, had a garden, tried growing different things. And mushrooms was one of those things. And it just, mushrooms happened to grow really, really well in the microclimate. We have, it's full of oak hickory timber. They, shiitakes grow best on white oak. And the forests we have down there are almost completely white oak. And there's a really humid little ecosystem down there in the current river valley where our farm is. So she started growing them there just because of the ecological advantage and just for fun. And then she had some chef friends, started to sell them to some chef friends and decided to make a go of a business out of the whole whole deal. 
Fantastic. That's a great, uh, great story. About how much space do you have at the Timber Missouri family farm? The farm down there, the total family farm is over 3,000 acres. But uh, my parents' section of it is, clo- is more like 500 acres. And then the farm itself of just where we grow mushrooms is, is about five acres. Or where we used to grow mushrooms, I should say. And it's mostly uh, you know, a pine grove full of white and yellow pine. And then there's rows of oak cordwood, which is the branchwood stacked in rows and then with a bunch of different misters and shade cloth and humidity blankets or weed blankets draped over the rows to, to help, you know, part of the growing process. And then there's also like two acres of, so there's maybe three acres of like mushroom growing space. And then there's like a little two acre garden. And then we have a really large greenhouse and then like a, you know, mushroom kitchen, storage area, a uh, little building, which is an old, old homestead that's been converted into a, you know, kind of mushroom warehouse processing area, kitchen. And then the second floor of that is, is now becoming an Airbnb. The whole thing's getting turned into an Airbnb now. So some friends who are chefs wanted to use them at, in the restaurant. And so she saw a, a demand and saw a business opportunity. Yeah, I, that's basically it. I, she she had you know she had two young kids at the time, and in teaching, just the pay of it and the schedule of it wasn't working well with life. And my dad also runs his own business; he's an architect, and so just that lifestyle wasn't working really well. And so she wanted to try to figure out a way where she could both work and take care of her family. But also, she's very entrepreneurial. I mean, she she raised goats in England, made goat cheese, had bees, was also a biology teacher there, but, you know, grew up in rural England in an agrarian setting. And so she had experience growing things and selling things. And she got, yeah, regular orders with, um, I'm forgetting his last name, but Andy, who started Riddles, and he also started Eat Here St. Louis. Very cool. I can't remember his name. And then also, I'm really bad with names, which is why I'm not, which is why I leave most of the marketing sure. to, to Andy and my mom. And I, I'm more of the, I manage Face, faces. all the, yes. Faces are good, but names yeah. can be tough for, for me too. Yeah. But I'm good at growing things and, yes. and managing money. Yeah. And, um, but uh, what is it? Cardwell. He, he was a, you know, well-known name yeah, back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and Bill Cardwell, he was also uh, one of the first customers of my mom and helped spread the word and got her in, you know, many places. And, and it just naturally progressed from there. I mean, she just, my mom's really amazing at networking and is just a fun person to be around. And we'd host people down at the farm, you know, show them a good time as part of it and just make a lot of personal connections. And that's still how we run the business today, except we just, manage over, you know, hundreds of different relationships. And a lot of customers have been buying from us for over 20 years. And what's cool about mushrooms, and it's a totally different agricultural system. Your input is, it's cellulose, right? Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, saw, sawdust. It's carb. I mean, like many things, it's car- carbon dirty. and nitrogen, but it's dead, dead plants, basically. And it's typically sawdust or cordwood, which is the branch wood left over. And it depends on the kind of mushroom. We can get into the weeds of sure, the sure. complicated. There's a lot of details involved. But sure. most most of the mushrooms grow that we grow are saprophytic white rot funguses, which grow on are like some of the first things that would in the wild decompose a freshly dead tree. And so we're growing on like fresh sawdust mixed with like soybean hulls or wheat bran or wheat mids or 
other another agricultural byproduct that has the right nitrogen ratio. And you kind of grow mostly on sawdust and then you mix in other stuff to like increase the other nutrients that the sawdust doesn't have up to like the maximum amount that that mushroom will handle. And that can increase the yields uh, compared to just growing on straw or sawdust alone. And then there's lots, then you sterilize that, infect it, and then give it all the right, you know, ecosystem to thrive in. And that's different, once again, for each variety. But a lot of the varieties that have become popular today have become popular because they've evolved to, you know, or been selected to thrive in the same, uh, you know, climate. So mushrooms being decomposers, I guess, isn't that what you call them in, in science class? Like it's part of a... That's one of the early terms, terms? that we learned, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, like in like, yeah, fifth grade or something. Uh, so they don't need... I mean, there's no photosynthesis occurring, correct? That is correct. They're 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 very they're more similar to humans and animals than they are to plants. So they're they're basically eating something, but they eat it outside of their body. So they release you know exudates with enzymes and stuff that break it down into sugars, and then they slurp that up and eat it and metabolize it just like we do, metabolizing sugars. And they they release CO two and they eat, you know suck in oxygen. Yeah, and they don't require sun, not solar powered. But yeah. they do require sun. But not a lot of it. Not a lot. Gotcha. They're, and they're not photosynthesizing, but it's just like humans, like uh, shiitakes, the brown cap. It's actually melanin. It's oh. This, and it's, that's why shiitakes are high in vitamin D, and they prefer, and they have more vitamin D the more sunlight they, you know, absorb. And we all need vitamin D out in the Midwest. Yes, but <laughs> yeah. they can also get sunburned, you know. So sure. they they okay. need like 90 percent shade from full sunlight in Missouri. But they do need some sunlight to produce the color they have, the shape they have. Otherwise, just like plants that are, you know don't have enough sunlight, they get leggy. They kind yeah. of like grow in a funky yeah. looking, stretched out manner. And they also will not have the same nutrient you know, balance. Because just like we need vitamin D to survive, mushrooms produce other compounds with sunlight just like the human body does. Why shiitakes? Well, shiitakes was the first and the main crop that we grew grew and uh, became known for, mostly because one, they grow well on the white oak trees that we have in, uh, you know, plenty of on our property. But they're also the only mushroom that grows well on logs. There's multiple different techniques to grow different mushrooms, but shiitakes some of the saprophytic white rot mushrooms, you can either grow them on logs or you can grow them on sawdust blocks. And logs is kind of the old fashioned way, it's, but it's lower tech. So you need less you know, infrastructure and equipment to grow them, but you will not get the same amount of yields. You need more space and you need more labor. So it's lower input cost, but higher labor cost and lower output. The sawdust blocks, you'll need, you know, you need autoclaves, you need sawdust, you need a bagging machine. And so that's expensive. There's higher input costs, but then they yield really high and they're much quicker to harvest. And so there's less labor involved. And so one of the reasons my mom started with the log-grown shiitakes, which is kind of like an heirloom shiitake compared mm-hmm. to the sawdust-grown, which is more like a greenhouse, heirloom tomato versus greenhouse tomato kind of equivalent. And she started with those because not only did we have the main input for those, which is white oak logs, and the microclimate, but also she didn't have the infrastructure. She was just bootstrapping the business. There's been zero, little to no personal investment in this business in its entire existence. It's just been selling mushrooms and then using that money to reinvest in it. And, you know, it's just completely owned by me and my mom. There's been no, you know, financial backers, very little loans involved. And so the main reason she did did it that way is because, you know, she didn't, 
want to be beholden to, you know, other people. And also just because she was organically growing it, raising a family, didn't want to risk too much. And also just because my mom really likes, you know, working in more natural ways outside than in like climate controlled greenhouses. And that's her strength. And so that's how the business started was mainly log grown shiitakes was our, you know, flagship product. And it's a really high quality heirloom shiitake that you can't get elsewhere, which is the other reason she started growing on logs, because you can get sawdust grown shiitakes from Cisco, U.S. Foods, even at Schnucks. They're not very good quality typically, only for the fact that they're typically old because mushrooms have a very short shelf life. They're often really good quality right out of the gate, but then they don't get to you until like a week and a bit later. So that's the main reason she started. There's you know multiple reasons and I kind of jumped around there, but I, th- I think that made sense. If you'd like to talk a little bit about how you're kind of what you have going on at this operation site here and then kind of what your outlook is as your future and production grows, like what direction you're headed. Yeah, I moved back here about three and a half years ago, right before COVID. I was planning on moving to England to, you know, my mom's British. I have citizenship over there. I was wanting to maybe explore living over there for a little bit. And then I came back here, was humming and hawing about what to do, and then COVID happened, and then I buckled down to help, you know, the family farm make it through uh, the pandemic. Uh, we sell mostly to restaurants, so we were hit pretty hard, had to lay off everybody and, uh, and scrimp our way through. But we actually did pretty okay. We were able to hire everyone back, and all of a sudden, we were way, way busier. And during that time of having to lay everyone off, we... I started experimenting, setting up temporary greenhouses here to experiment with growing blocks, which we had not been doing, uh, the block production method of mushrooms, just because I have a background in plant science, soil science. I've been working in agricultural research for five or six years, and I'm pretty tech savvy, nice. have managed yeah. greenhouses. And so I had a little bit of more of a background to help launch into that aspect of growing mushrooms. And so since then, we've been... Uh, investing heavily into growing growing on blocks and and kind of closing down the log operation. One, because the logs are more labor-intensive and labor has basically doubled for us over the past three years. And so the economic equation makes a lot less sense for the logs than it used to. And two, because we, you know, our farm manager quit down at the farm. He'd been working for us for 20, 20 plus years. And it's been it's hard to find someone who can manage oh, a mushroom sure. operation in the middle of nowhere. There's basically just not enough people. And the people that are there, you know, take years to train them how to manage a, a very specific operation like that. So we, in the past three years, we've started growing all on sawdust blocks here in St. Louis, have been transitioning and closing down the farm in Timber, Missouri. And we've bought a new facility here in St. Louis to do a proper indoor grow operation in a warehouse with greenhouses built inside that warehouse with automated environmental controls and proper, you know, vacuum cooling fridges, all, you know, to basically triple the amount of production that we can do that we're currently doing. Um, Right now we're growing about a thousand pounds a week out of two (laughs) jerry-rigged temporary greenhouses built in the shell of a warehouse in the middle of St. Louis. 
that's like dilapidated and um it's it is very pic- picturesque uh, honestly yeah. it's it, it's beautiful it but is, it, it, yeah. it's yeah. also falling apart uh, <laughs> yeah beautifully yeah. crumbly yes <laughs> it used to be completely covered in vines i've actually yeah. had to remove all of them for um for just to to get enough light Proper to grow the mushrooms mm-hmm. and then also to get an eye on the masonry damage that's there sure um, <laughs> it's it's like a warehouse if you can imagine the listeners of this a warehouse with no roof on it with just crumbly brick edges and no windows in the old window holes and with two you know greenhouses two 500 square foot greenhouses built inside of it yeah so we've been growing out of there and then partnering with other mushroom farms in the area to distribute over 2,000 pounds a week for the past couple of years of mushrooms to hundreds of restaurants in town. We deliver to the St. Louis area, Columbia, St. James, Rolla, and then we also airship mushrooms to other mushroom farmers. Not a ton of that, but we're trying to get more into that. I sell mushrooms to a, another mushroom farm in, in Kansas City, mm. and some I've shipped stuff to Texas and mm-hmm. a mushroom farm in, in Chicago as well. And then we also ship in stuff from the, you know, the West Coast and, and all over. So we're buying in mushrooms from Pennsylvania, Washington, California, and Missouri. And then we're also shipping stuff out to those places as well. And yeah, the, the journey of that where we're headed now is to have a, yeah, a larger production facility to be more of a, a regional mushroom grower. I'd like to double, you know, the amount of employees we have. I don't want to get too much bigger than that. I'm not trying to become a giant, you know, industrial mushroom farm, but I'd like to be a larger business, a medium, a medium, like, you know, an honest medium-sized business with like 10 employees. So we can all take time off, have less hectic farm schedule, have more expensive equipment that automates a lot of the production process so I don't have to be constantly here tinkering and managing the greenhouses. There's a lot of really cool developments in, you know, uh, 3D mapping of like, you know, CO2 or moisture or, you know, yeah. airflow, whatever, what have you. So No, and all that stuff's gotten way more affordable too. So, yeah. I, but yeah. I can't, I can't install that here because it's all like outside. But if I had greenhouses in a warehouse with, you know, the right amount of power and a really good it's HVAC system and, and safe, yeah, yeah and, and, and good internet access, I could automate a lot of this, you know, headachey stuff that I deal with now. Because right now the mushrooms grow seven days a week. They need monitoring twice a day. They need harvesting often twice a day once in the morning, once in the evening, because they grow so quick. If you want optimal quality, they need to be cleaned every day. So it's it's nonstop. And if in our current setup, it is a struggle. They really are animals. They're, they're their own fun- kingdom. Their own fungus. fungus. Yes. <laughs> yes. So so yeah, that's that's outlook we're we're looking for is to to kind of take the next step in in the process of you know we started as a, a small family farm and then we moved to like mushroom farm and distribution business, medium, small. And I'd like to move up to the the medium size, which is kind of the worst place to be in business. But I think we have a special niche. Uh, we have a little bit of a monopoly that's kind of hard to get into to grow mushrooms affordably enough and at high enough quality to regularly supply restaurants who need, you know, who put you and your name on the menu and can't have you miss a week um, and stuff like that. Sorry, I'm jumping all over the place too, just because it's been a a good 12-hour days already. But yeah, and that one of our big, you know, competitive advantages and what part of our business model besides just growing and selling mushrooms is we we all always have mushrooms. So we like every time a restaurant orders, we we deliver. We're not out of mushrooms pretty much ever. It does happen, of course, but 
compared to other small mushroom farms, uh, we will always supply you uh, with the mushroom you ordered for the most part because we're buying stuff in and we're selling and growing stuff. We're a lot of, a lot of mushroom farms just like grow what they sell when they have it, you know. And that's and also, you know, the conventional food distributors have to special order stuff and don't always have it on hand. And so our big advantage is that like any of our restaurant customers, they can call in, order their mushrooms and we get it to them basically within 24 hours. Typically, there's no pre-orders. There's no set anything. They just call up and we get it to them the next day. Yeah, very efficient turnaround. So after the evolution and success of the log heirloom shiitake, what were like the next few most popular kind of styles or types of varietals of mushrooms that you really embraced or mastered? I, so the log shiitakes were the first and the main thing that my mom would grow. And then she also would grow oyster, oyster mushrooms on straw and gold and blue and Italian oysters. And she just grew those until I came here three and a bit years ago. All the other varieties she would sell, she would buy in from other mushroom farms. And that was how she operated the business for roughly 30 years. Okay. So like a lot of the other sort of varieties that some of us have maybe just learned about recently, like chestnuts or lion's mane, or just the accessibility of those things. Maybe we've heard of them, but now they're easier to find because of Ozark mushrooms being around. Yeah. I mean, mean, a lot of people are are raised, like you get button mushrooms, you know, those little white. Yeah, you're used to a very boring looking mushroom with no flavor. So there's this gourmet Or mushrooms in a can. Oh, I yeah. wish you wouldn't have even said that. <laughs> yeah, so the, straw, the canned straw mushrooms, I think, are actually kind of good. Okay, okay. But most of the canned mushrooms are actually pretty gross. Yeah. Um, well, they've come a long way. Yes. I suppose. But the, the mushroom industry, though, ha- has has boomed in recent years, has become trendy since the pandemic. There's like a, kind of a, a weird popularity spike of growing mushrooms at home and the pandemic gardens kind of movement. It was part of that. But... There, mushrooms are, and there's also, you know, I think the new rise of popularity has also coincided with like the mushroom supplement industry. Yeah, the nootropics and yeah. and and uh, the health benefits. Adaptogens and, yeah. is <laughs> yes. a key word. Yes, yes. but my my mom's been selling all these varieties for thirty years here in town, and uh, and all of a sudden they're trendy, and now now we're you know doubled, okay. you know, tripled the size of our business in the past like three years, and we're hoping to to double it from here. And we think it'll maintain just because we, we've, we're, we're selling not just, you know, to like, I don't think we'll go the same way as like frozen yogurt and cupcake shops. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's, it's, um, it's more than just a trend. And also we've been, you know, a lot of our customers we've had for 20 plus years. And, but I think a lot of the new popularity of mushrooms too has been, there have been technological improvements um, in recent years. I, th- I think in partial, partially thanks to, like the YouTube, there's like a large YouTube community of mushroom growers and they share like new, you know, innovations pretty quickly. And some of those innovations, one of the big ones was a new substrate mix, soybean hulls and sawdust, which gives vastly increased yields. And there's also a couple new businesses that have come up that make, uh, you know, the, the bags that you need to grow mushrooms in much more accessible. They used to be really hard to find. You used to have to ship them in from China or Japan. And same thing with mushroom growing equipment. There's all of a sudden now there's companies that exist in America that you can get some of these like really specialized pieces of equipment 
you know, somewhat readily available, at least far more available than they used to be. And there's also, you know, building designs on YouTube from this community of how to build certain specialized equipment, which didn't exist. Yeah, no, I think it's just because I've been yammering away all day <laughs> while we were, we were picking mushrooms all together all day and we were just chatting our faces off, which is a, a nice part of, a part of the business. Like um, it ebbs and flows from driving alone for hours and hours to to using your brain, thinking, solving problems, building new things, to just sitting with sure. scissors, <laughs> snipping mushrooms for eight hours straight, just talking about silly stuff and listening to music and not using your brain too much. So it's it's a little of everything, which is really nice. Sounds like good balance, work-life yeah. balance, yeah. <laughs> Diversity. That's part of what I was trying to say with okay. plant-based, just the focus of people eating fewer animals or just having a, a reduced red meat diet or, you know, just kind of reducing their their if, footprint yeah. by consuming more plants or fungus. If you go grains. to Boilers, they have a burger patty that's prepped. That's like, I don't know, a ratio of mushroom with some local uh, beef. Oh, neat. But, Sounds good. But yeah, so I, I mean, I know a lot of people are trying to reduce a little bit of right. that. Just yeah. um, And uh, I'm sure the footprint of mushrooms is generally much less. That's what I was trying to say earlier, but I couldn't really articulate it. It's just that just based on the thousands of pounds per week and looking at the the surface area of what you're growing and like the vertical space that you can use for your grow blocks in these small-ish, you know, makeshift greenhouses. I think that's really impressive and very interesting to think about, you know, the the space we toured was, was not massive, but considering the numbers, this is a very significant output. Yeah. And also also the way we're growing them is is not ideal. I probably have twice the density, if not three times the density of mushrooms per square footage as uh, a typical mushroom farm would. What we're doing is is not ideal, but we can get away with it basically by doing a couple things a little differently. Mm -hmm. It's not without its problems, but what I would like to actually maybe half the amount of density of of that's in there. Uh, but it's still it's still even with half the amount of density it's, it is a very uh you, you know space efficient product to grow it's really high turnover it is high input cost although it's sawdust and soybean hulls and plastic bags mostly which isn't the you know it's the big downfall of of mushrooms environmental friendliness is that you use a lot of plastic but you, it's about the same as you know anything else if you actually think about all, all yeah. the vegetables. Right. You might not see it at the farmer's market, but they're like sticking stuff in plastic bags in the fridge to store it and all. Sure. But um, whereas we sell our mushrooms in, in paper. Still, mushrooms, I think, are less intensive on the environment, less extractive. But it depends on where you're getting your sawdust from, where your soybean hulls are coming from, how much plastic, you know, what methods you're using. And stuff like that is is important, but at the end of the day, I think I think the way we do it is is I, I you know I don't think any agriculture is sustainable. I think uh, you know any all all agricultural activity is extractive. Sure. No, mat- no matter yeah. no matter Depleting the way you resources. yeah no matter the way you do it, but I think it's better than the vast majority of ways you can grow things. And I also think they're healthy. I think I'm not sure, you know, about all of the touted benefits of mushrooms that you hear about, but I do know they have a lot of unique nutrients in them. I do know that it's important to have a varied diet. 
I do know that they taste really delicious, and you, if you can widen your palate, you can learn to appreciate more, more different interesting things in your culinary life. Very true. So that's one of the main reasons that we, we love growing mushrooms is just that it's, it's a unique thing. People don't tend to know as much about it. And when they do think they know about it, they don't know as much as they think they know. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's a whole world, it's just like plants and animals. It's a whole unique kingdom. Uh, and there's a lot of things you can yeah, gain to appreciate uh, from, from working with them. Yeah, my, personally, I did not care for mushrooms at all growing up tiny rural town. The things that they put on the pizza that my parents ordered when I was a kiddo was the gray slime formation slab thing under the wet cheese with the red mm-hmm. sauce yeah. that didn't really taste like That's usually tomatoes. a first introduction. Yeah. And that, that, that I think steered me clear of mushrooms for a solid two decades. And then when I was working in the culinary land and started, you know, like a chef I was working with was like, we're going to roast these in an oven while toss them with oil and salt and pepper. And I saw how like the color changed and the texture and they kind of got a little crispy and a little jerky like and it was chewy and it wasn't like a gray mush fall Mm -hmm. apart thing. And I was like, wow, I think. And then the door of mushrooms open for me, but the, the flavors and the complexities, I think it's really neat because you have such a variety of fungus that you offer here. Like it, it allows people to kind of do their own little flavor travel experiences. Like if you haven't tried lion's mane, try lion's mane. It's a little seafood like, and it has this interesting fleshy pull apart uh, experience. And I, I think that kind of culinary meal travel way for people to experience different things. It's neat that you as one company can offer this huge, vast array of colors, textures, flavors, and and just like a little mini travel, right, for your mouth, a, a palate experience. I, I think that's really neat. Yeah. And I think part of what we are is more, more than a mushroom farm is we are just like a novelty food, yeah. you know, distribution business to restaurants. We do mostly sell mushroom products, but we do distribute other you know, strange wild edibles. You know, we sell fiddlehead ferns, ramps, stinging nettles, and other, you know, wild, interesting edibles that can be bought in. Yeah. Um, we have like, yeah, over 30 mushroom varieties available every day. A lot of them are dried or powdered or other things, but we have like 15 fresh varieties and then 15, you know, all those dried and then 15 more of dried stuff, frozen stuff. We have frozen weedle coche, which is that corn smut that we sell from a farm in Florida. We sell, you know, we sell all sorts of intriguing culinary items uh, as part of our suite of products to entice chefs to, you know, keep buying from us to add some more novelty um, and more uniqueness to their menus. And also it's like stuff you can't get from a lot of other places, which is also why, why we sell those things. We, we found, found a niche of products. You can, you know, those restaurants struggle to find other places easily and we have them readily available for the the booming and really rich, you know, food culture that we have here in St. Louis. We've got a really amazing restaurant scene uh, for the size city that we have. And um, I think it's a real, a real strength of the, you know, culture, tourism, culture potential, at least uh, of our city. Have you sold to uh, Bullrush? Yeah, yeah. We sell, sell to Rob Connolly. We sell to all of Niche Food Group, Bailey's Food Group, you know, the Four Seasons, a lot of hotels, country clubs, casinos in town. 
Yeah, we we sell most most fancy places in town. Buy from us, Little Fox, Lucky Accomplice, uh, all all their all the restaurants they grow to, all the, all the fanciest places, except for some like you mentioned Boyards. We do not sell the Boyards. They buy from our competition for sure, uh, <laughs> which which are you know which which is great. And yeah, we we're friends we're, we're friends with all the other you know couple mushroom growers in town. We are you know easily three four times larger than than the closest one, and and largely that's just to do. With like you know, we all grow pretty good quality mushrooms, but we just have more stuff available, and we can get it to you quicker and easier. Yeah, you're kind of well centralized uh, to to handle St. Louis City and yep. the surrounding area, which yep. is a great benefit probably to your business. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole uh, you know idea that I brought was to just move the whole thing to the city. It makes so much more sense growing it all right here and then distributing it right here because we can get it that much fresher, and also it's just. Ninety percent of the places we sell are within like fifteen minutes of where we are right now. Yeah, more, which, more sustainable. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Greener. Right. <laughs> that being said, we do have to truck in. You know, truck in all the sawdust, and yeah. and that's really it's heavier than the mushrooms. So you know, it's it makes more you know maybe more gas sense to uh, to you know grow all the things where the sawdust is and then truck the mushrooms because they're like you know a tenth one tenth of the weight, but. Trucking stuff in bulk is often often more efficient than driving around small amounts of stuff. Most a lot of I mean, controversial opinions, but you know, a truck a trucked tomato from California can often be less than like if you just get twenty tomatoes and drive them an hour. You know, per tomato, the amount of gas. So we 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 think uh, in in math and you know use science evidence based stuff. And my, my science background kind of I bring a little of that, and then my mom brings more of the organic, like my mom knows when it's going to rain, she can like feel the barometric pressure in her bones. And she's really good at predicting weather and hearing things and, and, you know, knowing when contamination might happen because of weather patterns. And she, my mom is really good instinct and I have really good, you know, analytical processing power. And I think that's uh, (laughs) what makes the the team work so well. We've got different personalities to help us balance out, uh, to have a well-rounded direction. Yeah. yeah, I 100% agree. That sounds like you're a powerful duo mm-hmm. um, and a great partnership with each of your strengths. Do you have a favorite <laughs> mushroom? I mean, I, I pr- the log-grown shiitakes are, yeah. are, are my favorite. Yeah. Mostly, they've got the best shelf life. They got a really strong flavor that's like good and well-rounded, and, and they're kind of good anywhere is the one reason I like them. They're you know, lion's mane is more specific. You know, it's kind of not super strong flavor, but it has a unique texture, but you can cook it wrong really easily. And whereas shiitake is like, you can, you can boil them, fry them, saute them, stir fry them, what have you, leave them in the fridge for two, three weeks. And they're, they're, they're hassle-free and they're mega delicious. And they're, you know, one of the most nutrient dense of them. And also they're what I was raised with. They're the ones we grow, you know, most naturally. It's, 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 you know, it's an ancient Japanese practice of growing, growing them on logs the way we do. And it, it feels very much like you're working with Mother Nature to make something happen. More like a kind of like a wild simulated product than something that's more artificial, like what we do now in the greenhouses of like controlling every variable, sterilizing it, and then getting a much larger result for our labor input. Yeah, appreciate that insight. I mean, you said like there's a lot of health benefits that people talk about, a lot of claims, maybe some proof, maybe not some things that are proved. Do you 
like personally, like your own insight and input? Like, do you perceive certain benefits from certain mushrooms that you've ingested? <laughs> sure. I mean, I, I'm open to the idea that they, you know, that nootropics might, you know, be really good for you. I don't think, you know, I think I know a lot of people who are doing just fine eating like, you know, meat and potatoes, you know. And so I, I, I do think they are healthy for you. And I do think some, you know, some of their like neurogenesis properties of lion's mane have, you know, some intriguing potential. A lot of, you know, there's a lot of bioactive compounds in a different variety of mushrooms. There's antibiotics in a lot of them. There's all sorts of interesting things that do interesting things in our body. How that actually happens inside of your body, like you can test the metabolic pathway in the laboratory, but sure. what you can't t test easily is exactly the effect it will have in the complicated soup of your body. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, I don't think we'll ever. I think I don't think we'll ever really know exactly what a lot of the you know the benefits exactly are of a lot of these products but i generally think that mushrooms are healthy they've been used medicinally for years some of them have stronger more dramatic measurable effects than others i do believe all of them that are edible are probably good to eat in moderation i wouldn't overdo any food you know including mushrooms i also think there's a lot of new varieties of mushrooms coming down the line. I think they, you know, testing is really important. There's allergy risks. There's lots of complicated chemicals in a lot of mushrooms. Some of them might be less edible than others or the ability to eat a lot of them than mm -hmm. others. I do think there's, you know, some minor minor risks that, you know, people need to be thinking about, like how much reishi and chaga powder should you be eating in your coffee every morning? Right. I yeah. think there's, or dumping into your smoothie yeah, like a crazy person. Especially during COVID, a lot of people I think were like, all right, what's antiviral? What's going to make me less susceptible to get this? And, I and think, a multifaceted approach. Like, right. And you, and you definitely, I'm sure people were like landed on reishi or some other turkey you know, tail. Yeah, and they're like, all right, I'm gonna boil this up and make this, and like, hopefully, and protected. Yeah, and and I think I think I think they can be really good to use, and they have been used for you know a long, long time in various cultures for you know to treat a variety of things, some specifically, and it just it it varies greatly, and I do think they are good. I just don't want people to think they're, you know, a magic happy pill. And I also want people to, you know, make sure they realize, like, there hasn't been a ton of long-term studies on, like, large amounts of consumption of some of these products. I think they're probably fine to sure. eat a lot of. It just, it's not known, you know, sure. just like the health benefits exactly are not exactly known. And so... That's, I think people should, I sell these products. I do think they help a lot of people and I do think they have uses. I just also like to make sure I, I tell people like, I'm, I'm trying not to be a snake oil salesman. Sure, I'm trying, sure, and sure. I'm also trying do your to, research. yeah, and do your research. And if you're a research scientist, like many scientists, uh, you know, with like the magic health benefits of all these things, like there's, there's some real evidence there. There's also a lot more research to be done. I'm a huge fan of eating lion's mane and the fact that, you know, it's supposed to have nootropic properties. Great, you know, um, but, you know, I'm happy eating, you know, eating my, my mushroom cooking with it. My buddy might be happy spending a lot of money on some, you know, capsule with it in it. Good for him. But. Yeah, 
<laughs> but <laughs> so you'd rather on. kind of yeah. chew it and enjoy the yeah. flavor. And some people are like, give me a capsule so I can just get a benefit. Keep yeah. it simple. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. And, and I just like, I, th- I feel like, yeah, people should take vitamins, but they should also just eat yummy, tasty, healthy food yeah. in yeah. a variety and and uh, and not overdo one thing or another. Because mu- mushrooms can be hard to digest if you eat tons of them, just because humans can't digest chitin that well. And you want to cook most mushrooms, generally speaking. Right. That's something I learned recently. Yes, but then if you overcook them, of course, like a lot of nu- some nutrients break down under heat and some mm-hmm. don't. It's it's mm-hmm. it's complicated. Yeah. Same thing with, you know, tinctures, like some chemicals solubilize in alcohol, some don't, some, you know, some under heat change, some don't. You know, it's 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 chemistry. It's complicated. But generally, we're a culinary, you know, company. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We sell things mostly because they taste good and right. because we think they're yummy and healthy for you. They're we're also like, beautiful, may yeah, I they say. Are. <laughs> and yeah, so, but we're, we're not, I'm not planning on, on getting into the supplement business just because I think that is more of a, like a frozen yogurt um, cup, you know, cupcake. Trends. Trend <laughs> that is, it will be less sustainable for the long term. That being said, mushroom supplements have been an industry for a really long time and they will remain that way forever, I believe. But it, uh, I, this, the demand we're seeing right now, I do believe is, is a little bit of a blip, a fad, fad blip that will level out maybe half or quarter in size in the next 10 years. But you never know. I, I might be wrong on that. I hope I'm wrong, I guess, because I love growing mushrooms and I've, I've sold you know, bulk dried mushrooms to supplement companies. And I, I, might, I might get into a little bit of the supplement business by like maybe selling bulk. But um, we already have too many products. I, <laughs> sure. um, yeah. I don't, I don't want to open up a whole new wing, though right. I, I do think about it. Well, there's there's also there's a lot of tasting dinners happening where, you know, chefs are, are making these prepared courses and that's often exposing people to things that you know dishes and ingredients that people have never tried before and a lot of times people say like you know i normally don't like mushrooms but i have no idea what i just ate it's it's a mushroom man that was that was really good yeah and uh the texture was completely unique and very appetizing and surprised very surprised and there's a, and there's a whole world of mushrooms we're, we're not even growing a tiny fraction of the amount of mushrooms yeah. that you can eat <laughs> And there's lots of other products besides just mushrooms. You can have like fungally infected, you know, other foods like tempeh, for example, mm-hmm. is like, um, you know, a fungus yep. grown mm-hmm. through, you know, usually soybeans and a little bit of like rice, rice flour. Yeah. And stuff what is like the that. corn one that's kind of been a bit of a fad? The, the little blobs that grow on corn. Oh, the corn smut or huitla coche. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's... Um, I've seen the word. I just didn't yeah. know how to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's just a fungus that, you know, grows, grows, infects corn in its growing process. And it grows naturally in the southern regions. And you can kind of farm it by getting some of the spores and basically sprinkling it all over your cornfield and inoculating the corns at the right time in the growing process. And then you can harvest it and, and freeze it. It's, you can either freeze it or can it. It does not stay fresh long at all. So, And it's just a, like an, a flavor type thing? Or? Well, it yeah. looks really cool visually. You should look up the yeah, corn fungus Yeah, it, it does thing. have a very unique flavor. Uh-huh. It's like, you know, it's kind of like hominy mixed mm-hmm. with some like mushroom funk. And okay. like it's somewhere between like, yeah, meat, corn and and like... I don't know, not fish, but it has a, it has a funk to it that's that's pleasant, but uh, can be overdone if you don't you know cook it quite right. But it's it's just a novel, unique thing with 
a unique suite of, you know, chemicals inside of it. Is that fungus just extracted off of the corn cob? Like if I, if you're selling it to a chef, for instance, it'd just be the... Yeah, it's it's basically, it's a, it's a kernel of corn that's been infected and then it makes it grow really strange. Yeah. It's large and it, I believe it interacts with like, the corn is still partially alive and it's... It's just like there's galls on trees and like um, agrobacterium tumorphations in, in grapes is like the one of the original bacteria. They extracted, you know, some uh, parts of it to for like genetic modification. And what it does is it inserts genes into the plant to cause it to overproduce certain growth hormones in this local area. And then it forms like this tumor that the fungus yeah. lives inside, but the uh-huh. plant is still alive as well. And it's it's kind of one of those that it manipulates the the cells of the plant to create this weird oversized amorphous corn kernel that it's living inside. And then if you leave it on there, eventually it will turn into just like a giant sack of spores. And then you hit it and then the, all the spores drift in the wind. But when you harvest the huitilococcia, you harvest it young before it gets to that spore. It's kind of like a, a puffball. Mm. Uh-huh. It's very similar to a puffball, but it's growing on a kernel of corn instead of out of the ground or off of a dead a dead tree. Very short life with the hoitalacoche. Yeah, short shelf life. Yeah, and and they grow pretty quick too. So you it's, harvesting at the right maturity is also really important. Nice. Yeah, I have so many questions about all things fungi, but uh, yeah, I'm trying not to get too into the weeds <laughs> yeah. about it. I'm trying. Yeah. To like, no, it's it's it's, it's really yeah, it's really exciting and. For most people, it could be really foreign. Yeah. A lot of cool, cool uh, information out there about all the interconnectedness and what they do for forests and, and such. But that's yeah, the communications of, of and <laughs> yeah. all of the, the mysterious things. Yeah. yeah, that could be a whole other segment that yeah. probably that's takes us cool. outside of uh, yes. Midwest uh, farming. Um, <laughs> right. But fascinating regardless. But yeah, um, mo- most of the farmed mushrooms are like the saprophytic ones that grow on dead okay. plant tissues. But there's also mycorrhizal fungus, parasitic fungus, all sorts of epiphytic fungus. There's different families, and those often live like in symbiosis or in some battle with other living organisms. And those cannot be farmed easily because that's uh, you managing relationships nature. between multiple <laughs> living organisms. That's hard to manipulate. It can be done. But it's much harder. It's more like wild simulated, you know, stuff. And you can encourage it to grow, but it's hard to, you know, manipulate exactly. And that's why truffles are expensive. That's why morels are expensive, though not all morels are mycorrhizal. That's another complicated story. So some morels can be cultivated, but it's really, it's tricky for a variety of long list of reasons. It depends on the variety. So they're different varieties have different life life cycles. But there's all sorts of crazy stuff mushrooms do. Um, Wheat rust grows on one plant and then changes its life cycle and shape and then transfers over to wheat and then jumps back to this other plant. So mushrooms do, there's, you know, lots of different life cycles that different, I call them mushrooms, fungus have. Only certain types of fungus produce mushrooms. It's just a big part of why we wanted to talk with you is because we see you at the farmer's markets and also um, just from being a little bit involved in the culinary seen here in St. Louis, I, I think it's just significant to acknowledge what Ozark Forest Mushrooms is bringing to St. Louis and the restaurants and the, the makers and the creators and the chefs and um, just that your 
quality, you know, intentional, diverse growing is bringing, it's helping supply, right, the growth of the food scene here. And that's always good for St. Louis and making our mark on the map here in the Midwest. Something that's great happening outside of Chicago, right? Because when people talk about the Midwest, they're like, yeah, Chicago's got this great scene going on. And they're like, hey, we've been excelling here also in the last 10 years for sure. So, but I think artisanal mushrooms is really, I mean, it's a wonderful thing to see on the menus here, you know? trustworthy source. Yep. 30 years and counting. Yeah. Boom. And, and I think, I think St. Louis has a lot, a lot of mushrooms on the menu. And it does. Part, part of that's, is, is our fault. <laughs> so, <laughs> my, mostly my mom's doing and I'm just helping uh, get even more out there. So now we do appreciate it and we appreciate your time, Henry. Thanks a lot for talking with us tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll see you at the farmer's market. <laughs> Sounds great. We'll see you there. And with that, thanks again to Henry of Ozark Forest Mushrooms. Really enjoyed our conversation and talking. It was a wonderful tour, too. Thanks, Henry. You're a fun guy. You could find their products at a number of local restaurants, fine dining to local grocers. Farmers and markets. And farmers markets. And if you are a restaurant, they do offer porch pickups as well. So there's a good distribution arm as well they focus on. Yes. You order it, they'll get it to you the next day because they've always got hundreds of pounds of fungus growing. Check out their social media on Instagram, as well as Facebook, and visit their website at ozarkforest.com. Yeah, this has been a production of Tangled Taproot. Feel free to like and share. Send us your comments, questions, inquiries to tangletaproot at milkandhummus.com. Once again, I'm Jackson. I'm Kristen. And I'm John Cowan. Thanks for listening. Take care. Take care.